us, is this the lunch loop? If so, um, we wish to cancel. Um, we do not wish to belong to that or to pay this anymore. Thank you. Hey everybody, welcome to the Lundloop Podcast, the podcast where we talk about the intersection of trading, markets, and life. And this week, it's going to be all life. So if you tuned in for the trading and investing part, just maybe check back in next week. As you know, I was off last Friday because I had to attend the memorial service for my family friend, Stan, who passed away about a month ago. Really interesting day. I've had a lot of thoughts about it percolating through my brain for the last week, so I'm going to talk about a few today. To set the scene, the event took place at a country club uh, where Stan was a member. Now, Stan was not a high and mighty guy. He didn't care whether you had a billion dollars or worked as a janitor. I think the only time I saw him in a suit was when he had his wedding. So, you know, he was like a salt of the earth guy, but he loved to golf. So he took a membership in this golf club, nice club, provided a beautiful setting, uh, also provided a lot of entertainment because you could sit there at his memorial sipping a Corona and watch golfer after golfer shank off the first tee, which was very entertaining. So Stan was in the construction industry and he did very well for himself. And he was in that industry for a long, long time. And he wasn't the type of guy that really sweated competitors. In fact, he liked his competitors. Not only that, but if you work for Stan and then you decided you wanted to go out on your own, he wasn't upset by it. He didn't think you betrayed him. He would actually help you. He might stake you with $50,000 to get your business started. Or he would say, hey, you need some office space? You can have some in my building for free. Or because it costs so much money for the initial equipment in these businesses, he would say, hey, if you want to lease my Peterbilt or my backhaul or whatever, he would give them super low rates so that they could get started. So he was really into just helping anybody he could. And by doing that, he built this fantastic network of people that uh, loved him, respected him, and that knew him for a long time. And it was just a cavalcade of person after person that came up at the dais and spoke about him. And what was really interesting about it is these were all old school construction guys that had built their businesses or that had worked for him. And almost to a man, not one of them could get through their speech without just breaking down. It was really touching to see. One that stuck out in particular to me was a gentleman who worked for Stan for 37 years. He was his construction foreman. And he was exactly what you would picture a construction foreman to be. Six foot four, built like a brick house, tattoos, scars, the type of guy that was scary. You wouldn't want to run into him in an alley. And he got up there and it probably took him three minutes to get the first two words out because he was so choked up. And he talked about a very specific event. You know, when Stan's health started to go south about five years ago, he knew that he needed to wrap his business up. And so he started scaling it back and started doing the things you have to do to wrap up a business. And he said, the guy said, I came back to the office one night late from a job and Stan was there by himself. 
And he said, you know, I'd heard the scuttlebutt. And because Stan was still there, I said to myself, I think I'm being let go. And that's what happened. Stan said, come into my office. They sat down. Stan explained, you've been a great worker. I've loved having you here. You've been integral to my business. Um, I have to let you go. He gave him a very generous severance package. And then when they were about ready to leave, he said, okay, I'll see you Monday morning. And the guy said, what do you mean? I, I thought you're letting me go. What Stan had done is he had already sold his business to a previous employee who had been doing well on his own. And he had made sure that every one of his existing employees was now going to be employed by the new owner for at least a year. So he said, well, so-and-so bought the business and you're his new lead of construction. So the guy said, the thing about Stan was when he had to wind his business down, he wouldn't close it until he made sure every single employee had somewhere to go. That's just the type of guy that Stan was. The other theme that came across in these speeches is how Stan used to screw with people, but in a fun way, like that kind of way where like when you tease someone, it makes you feel like they're in your group. So there were about 15, 20 people that went up and did a speech. And then finally, I said to myself, I got to go up there and, and do a quick one. And I went up there. I said, look, I, I know you've all talked about how Stan is messed with you and, and joked with you over the years, but I want you to know how much he messed with the younger generation. I told this story, I think I wrote about it uh, a while back, but when I was a kid, Stan used to come over to our house like once a month, just out of the blue. And we had a really long street in front of my house. And we always knew when Stan was coming because we would hear him at the end of the street. He would always show up in a new Ferrari or a Maserati or a Dino or a Porsche. And we'd be like, hey, Uncle Stan's here. And so he would come over. One year he came over, I was like eight or nine. And he said, hey, you know, Brian, I can, uh, I can read your mind. I said, no, you can't. He said, yeah, yeah, I can. I can read your mind. I said, go ahead, prove it. He said, okay. So he said to my mom and dad, he said, do you guys uh, have a deck of playing cards? So my mom went, got the deck, he came over to the table, and he laid out nine cards, three rows of three, in like a rectangular shape. And he said, I'm going to go in the other part of the house. You come over, you pick any one of these cards you want, turn it over, put it back down, and I'm going to come read your mind and tell you which card you picked. And I said, whatever. So he goes in the other part of the house. I go over, I flip over the center card, put it back down. He comes in, he puts his hands on either side of his temple, kind of does that Swami thing, you picked, and he goes, center card. I'm like, what? Do that again. So he goes in the other part of the house, comes back in. I had picked the bottom right-hand corner card. He immediately went to that card. My head is now exploding. And I said, you can see I've, that I, when I turn it, you see that the card's moved, right? He said, no, no, I'll tell you what. You just point to it this time. Don't even turn it over, and I'll discern what card it is. So he goes in the other part of the house. I pick the upper left-hand corner card. He comes back in, boom, picks it. This goes on for like three or four years. And every time he does it, I've got a new theory. I'm like, there's a camera somewhere. Uh, you, you've got glasses that can see the oils from my finger when I touch the, every single theory I could think of. And he was like, no, no, no. At some point I thought, Jesus Christ, he can actually read my mind. So finally I said, look, Stan, can you just tell me how you do this? He says, all right. Puts the cards out again, goes in the other room. I go over, I point to the center card. He comes back in, starts to do his little swami thing, and then he stops. He looks up, 
and he turns his head at a 45 degree angle right to where my dad's sitting in the corner of the room. And on my dad's lap is a magazine. You know, a magazine that's in the same shape, a rectangle. And my dad just casually got his finger laying right in the center of the magazine. Those two rat bastards screwed with a nine-year-old for years just so they could crack each other up. And guess what? I loved it. I loved every bit of it because it made me feel like I was part of their group. So that's the story that I told. I think it went over pretty good. Um, But another thing that happened there that was very interesting is a gentleman had come up to me earlier and he'd introduced himself as Ed and that he was a friend of Stan's and a friend of my dad's from way back in high school. And he's like, I knew your dad and he was a great guy. And, you know, my dad died in 1987 when I was 20. So, um, you know, I didn't get to know him that, that long. And so he was telling me all these things and he said, you know, I really loved your dad. He's a great guy. Cool. So he was one of the guys that got up and spoke. And when he spoke, he talked about the frat house, how he and Stan and this guy and that guy and Kelly Lund, my dad were, had great times at the frat house. Now, this is weird to me because I didn't really know that my dad was in a frat. My dad wasn't really what I would consider a typical frat guy. And he he only got a two-year degree. You could do that back then. Maybe you can do it now. I don't know. I have about a quarter of a year total in college credits. So, But back then, you could get a two-year degree. And so he went to Pasadena College, but he lived in Pasadena, so he wasn't on campus. He was like a commuter student. So I didn't think he had much of a social life, certainly not a, a frat or in a fraternity. And when I think of fraternities, I think of, well, there's two things I think of. First, I think of Animal House. Second, I think of A-holes. Now, it's probably unfair, but I had a buddy that went to USC, and I used to go up there with some of my other friends uh, the first year that he was in college. And we would go to these parties on frat row. And just the frat guys were just such, uh, they were, you know, you know what I'm saying. Um, so those are my two things. And I thought, my dad doesn't really fit in either one of those. But I did remember that my dad loved Animal House when it came out. I mean, he loved it. And it made sense because my dad would have been in this frat like in 59, 60. Animal House was... 62 or that's when it was set so it made perfect sense that he would you know relate to it i mean if i had to really think about it my dad would have been like part the hoover character you know who was the president of the the frat not because he would have been president but just because he was kind of a goofy guy and then part maybe otter but without the misogynistic a-hole part like so if he had the the sense of humor of otter and the dorkiness of hoover that's probably what he would have been, you know. Um, Stan was literally the Bluto character from Animal House. No doubt about that. But anyway, so he said frat, and I was like, that's weird. But then all of a sudden something hit me. About 20 years ago, I went on this jag where I needed to scan all of my parents' old photos online. I don't know why. I just for some reason I wanted to organize them in, in albums for myself, for my kids, for posterity. So I scanned all these old photos of my parents and I remember there was this set of about 20 or 25 photos of my dad, 
various friends, Stan, my mom was in it. They were super young. I know that they were in their college years. And I never really thought about it when I first scanned them in. At first I thought, well, maybe they're at like one of the people's parents' house. But then I realized, oh, wait, they're in like a clubhouse. And I was like, oh, wait a minute. Those are pictures at the frat house. And there's pictures of like, they're not toga parties, but they're like pajama parties. And then there's other pictures of them, you know, just, you know, being guys and young guys and gals at a frat. And so I'm sitting there and I'm thinking, huh. So Ed finishes his speech. He goes, sits down. The rest of the people finish. And I realize I've got those pictures on my phone. They're on my Dropbox. And I'm like, you know, hmm, should I go over there and tell them I've got these pictures? Now, of course, you're saying, of course you should. But you know me, I'm like, I'm not a people person, right? But okay, you know, I'll go over there and do that. So I go over and I sit down and I say, hey, Ed, you know, you're talking about the the frat house. I've got pictures of you at the frat house. Now, you would have thought that I told him aliens landed by the way he looked at me. And it makes perfect sense because, first of all, who the hell had a camera in 1959? And who the hell had it at a frat event? I looked it up. Cameras in 1959 cost about 95 bucks. That's about $1,000 today. So A, who had a camera? Right? It's not like today where everyone's got one in their pocket. B, it was expensive. Film was expensive, right? So you take these photos. You have to have this camera. Um, once those photos are produced, there's one set of them. It's not like, again, today where you can upload them and then they go everywhere and the distribution network is infinite. You get one set of these photos. Now, my dad didn't take the pictures because he's in the pictures. My mom didn't take them because she's in them. So someone else took them. My dad got them. And then they stayed in a drawer for over half a century. They essentially did not exist. So Stan didn't know they existed. I'm sure Ed didn't know they existed. And so... I showed him the first picture and his head exploded. It was like the reaction that he had was like what you see in a movie where someone's doing time traveling and all of a sudden they do that tight zoom shot on their face. Things go squiggly around them and then it's like they're falling back into infinity. And then after a minute or two, they land like in 17th century France. That's exactly what his whole reaction was. And he almost ripped my arm off, grabbing the phone out of my hand. And the first picture he pulled up, he goes, that's my cousin so-and-so. That's Bill so-and-so who died in Korea. I know this. Like he went through this whole list. It was amazing. And then there were two other guys at his table that were also contemporaries that were in that frat. And he was like, Bill, come over. It was really fun. And uh, they made sure like, can you send me these? I'm like, yeah, 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 no problem. So... That was fun. But circling back to Stan and the impact he made on people, it was really impressive. There were about 150 people there. And I started thinking to myself, okay, when I die, how many people am I going to get at my funeral? Maybe 50. Half of those are probably going to be my wife's family. I mean, Stan had 150, but he was 82. Right at 82, a lot of people are already gone, or it's hard for them to get there. But so 150 is a lot. My dad had like 275, 300. He was only 47, right? So you know those are 
pretty good sized funerals. I'm going to have like 50. And as I watched the, uh, the people go up there and talk, talk about Stan and about the legacy he left and the impact he made on people's lives over decades and decades and decades, I got a little sad. I was like, you know, have I made an impact on people's lives? I mean, I like to help people, but I thought, well, here's the problem. I just don't have that same motor that Stan does. Stan was an extrovert. I tend to be an introvert. And they say the difference is, is that introverts get drained by interaction with people. Extroverts get energized by it. And as much as I really would like to go to my grave thinking that I made as big an impact on people's lives as Stan did, I know that's just not me. I just, I don't have that, that gear. And so it's good to know that because it means that you have to be a little bit more strategic in the people that you impact and when you can impact them and, and affect their lives. And, and that's okay. Uh, but the one good thought that I did have out of this is, you know, a guy like this, Stan, his wife, Susan, um, who really impacted so many people's lives for half a century or more, people that would want to come and memorialize him, want to be around him. That's the type of guy he and Susan were. Um, But for the last 20 years, every Thanksgiving and every Christmas, they've been at our house. That was their choice. So I must be doing something right. Um, I would like to repeat that want to be canceled from the Lund Loop, whatever you've got me on. Um, if you wish to call and explain what it is, uh, actually, uh, forget that. Well, that's it for this episode. If you got any questions, hit me up at Brian, B-R-I-A-N, at thelundloop.com. I'll see you next time. Bye.